Welcome to Crime on Caffeine. I'm your host, Erica. And I'm your host, Allison. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode. Today, we'd be sipping on, well, the same coffee because it's the second part of the episode. So we are sipping on the matte black coffee in the Broadway blend. Obviously, you guys learned before that we are not Broadway stars and we never will be. So... Um, in my living room, in my car, I'm actually a huge Broadway star. Oh, Some girl. might say the most famous in this family. Um, <laughs> the family being me, Nate, Luna, and Thor. <laughs> oh my god. I was just about to say, because I work from home, so I'm, all, I'm always alone. And girl, the things that this kitchen could tell you. Oh my god, I was thinking about that the other day. <laughs> I'll see TikToks of people just, they're really funny and being really weird and like talking randomly and all the comments are like, this is what it sounds like in my brain or like, this is my humor and I'm just like, this is literally what it sounds like when I'm home alone working. Yeah. It's, I, it would be embarrassing if anyone heard. Mine's typically just like, I sing throughout the day, just my whole life I'm singing. I actually had this conversation with somebody last night, just like my life is a musical. I am my own Broadway star. <laughs> People might call me dramatic, but I just like to keep things interesting so that we are renewed for another season. Season two. Someone has to keep the plot going. And that's you. And that person is me. Yes, girl. Thor yeah. loves when I start singing show tunes to him, though. Oh, my god, He does enjoy it. Yes. So Gus does, too. Anytime I'm singing, he will sit there and watch me. And I don't know if he's thinking in his head, like, yas queen, (laughs) encore, encore. Or if he's thinking, my mom has lost her shit. I'm thinking the second, but I'm not really sure. But anyway, yeah, Broadway blend coffee. It is so good. And I'm still on my peppermint mocha grind because it's only January. What am I supposed to drink in January? I don't know. That's, exactly. That's hmm So don't come for me. Don't call me tomorrow. Don't text me tomorrow. I'm surprised you're not like a like a caramel at home girl because I know you're like a caramel when you oh, go I, to the. I am a caramel at home girl, but you know, tis the season. I feel like winter's like a caramely. No, I'm an all year caramel girl. Do you say caramel or caramel? I say caramel, but like I feel weird saying it, knowing it's spelled like caramel. caramel. But I feel weird saying caramel because I was not raised to say that. So you even say caramel? It's isn't it caramel? Caramel. I don't know. I don't know. I don't like that word. I think we should just get rid of it completely and change it to something else. Uh, what would we change it to? I think that's why they made up like butterscotch and shit. I was gonna say butterscotch. <laughs> I just had a feeling that's where your head was going. The candies look the same. Oh, need more of this. I'm not awake today. Well, wake up. I've had plenty of coffee at this point. More than I should, probably. I heard that um, if you have too much caffeine, it does lead to bloating. So I'm going to no still... Way. Yeah. I'm just going to be bloated forever. <laughs> I'm dedicating 2022 to like figuring out how to stop being bloated 24-7. Oh, my God. My 2022 is for gut health. Are you gut health, too? Yeah, Yeah, I am gut health. Wow. Look at us with the same New Year's resolution. We're hyped and we're ready to go over the second part, which is a little bit more of some confessions 
And then just a whole lot of psychology of Samuel Little. So we left off with his unmatched confession in Las Vegas in 1993. I'm going to move on to another unmatched confession from North Little Rock, Arkansas from 1992 to 1994. It's unclear which year it was. Little said he encountered a black female in a transient area of Little Rock, Arkansas between 1992 and 1994. He remembered it was cold and possibly snowing when they met. He described the woman as 24 years old, 5'5 to 5'7, and approximately 200 pounds. Little stayed with her on and off for about three days. He reportedly shoplifted with the woman, and then she sold the merchandise. I'm sorry, but this is so insane to me because I can't even remember like two tasks my boss told me about 30 minutes ago, but he can remember 93 murders, where they happened, who they were with, what they looked like, their fucking height, the weather. Like that is insane. That's insane. I need someone to like study his brain. Yeah. Well, you'll find out in probably not that long, but a little bit that there wasn't actually a lot of articles, studies, research done on his psychology, which I find absolutely just strange. No, like I literally, wait, is he dead or is he alive? Sorry if this spoils the fun for some people. Um, well, spoiler alert, he is dead. Okay, yeah, like see, I want him them to take his brain now that he's dead and study it. Like I want, I need to know. Okay, well, if you want to, you know, talk to the FBI about that, the coroner, whoever you need to. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me just text them real quick. The mortician, you can call them up, girly, and just ask for the brain deets. <laughs> Excuse me, my name's Erica. I was just calling to see if you have the details on Samuel Little's brain. <laughs> Can I see the lobotomy <laughs> results, please? <laughs> what his thalamus look like? <laughs> Anyway, he remembers being arrested for shoplifting in a North Little Rock Kroger grocery store. Records indicate that Little was, in fact, arrested by North Little Rock Police Department for shoplifting at the Kroger. So that was confirmed to be April 20th, 1994. So I'm assuming the time frame he had originally thought of is actually 1994 and not 1992. According to Little, he was released after approximately three hours so that he could move his vehicle, a 1978 yellow Cadillac Eldorado, or possibly Ooh. a yellow Dodge, off of the grocery store's property. Little stated that when he returned to his vehicle, the woman was sleeping inside. He first drove the woman who meet her ex-boyfriend, a man called Bear. He believed that <laughs> Bear is now deceased. Then he drove her back to her residence. He then returned the following day and drove her toward Benton or Bentonville, Arkansas. When they were outside Little Rock, Little drove down a dirt road and manually strangled the woman to death. Little stated he placed the woman's body in a pile of branches and old corn stalks in or near a cornfield. He believes the woman's name may have been Ruth and that her mother lived in North Little Rock. The next confession is from Los Angeles, California again. It was believed that he probably killed about 20 women in L.A., so 
a lot of these do come from LA, like I saw, like I said in the last episode. So this was a black female. In approximately 1996, while driving his blue Cadillac, Little met a 5'6 woman, 120 pounds, 23 to 25 years old, with golden colored black skin at Tam's Hamburger Stand on Figueroa Avenue and Imperial Avenue. The woman was with a masculine-looking lesbian black female. He gave both of the women a ride and made a date with the black female the following day at 4 p.m. He met the woman at the same hamburger stand the following day. He drove the woman to Vermont Avenue and 81st Street near where he was living at the time. Then he drove to Vermont Avenue and Florence Avenue. He strangled the woman to death in his vehicle, put the woman in the trunk of his vehicle, and then drove the woman to a large field. He dragged the woman out of the trunk and then put her down in the weeds, possibly on her back. He left the woman clothed in a black dress. The next murder I wanted to include actually is from Tampa Bay slash Clearwater, Florida, where, well, I reside. That's where I'm at, y'all. So I thought that that would be interesting to put in here. In approximately 1977 to 1978, or possibly 1983 to 1984, he met a 23-year-old woman, 5'5", 140 to 160 pounds, short, chubby, at a bar in Clearwater or St. Pete, Florida. He was driving a black Thunderbird. Which bar? It doesn't say which bar. (laughs) I know. I was like, which one? I ain't never going back. And I just want to, like, reiterate, these descriptions you're giving are obviously, like, his descriptions of them, right? Yes. So there are Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that was understood, that you weren't just calling this girl chubby. No, I did not. That was not me. (laughs) I know you didn't. I just feel like someone would be like, why is she describing her like that? Well, also, when I see 5'5 and 140 to 160 pounds, I don't think that that person would be chubby at all, so... It doesn't sound very chubby to me. Anyway, so he was driving a black Thunderbird at the time. He stated that the woman had a dark complexion, described her skin as leather-colored, and was dancing in a bar when they met. He stated that the black female was wearing some sexy shorts, but wanted to go home and change. Little drove to the woman's residence in a black neighborhood somewhere, that's a quote from him, so she could change clothes. When Little arrived at the woman's residence, the black female took her shorts off and put on a black skirt. Little stated, about five of her little siblings, sisters, and brothers came running out, yelling his name, Sam, Sam. What? Yeah, I have no idea. The black female entered Little's vehicle, and he told the woman he was going to Lakeland. Little drove the woman to a beach where he got his vehicle stuck in the barbed wire fence in sand. He stated several white boys were there drinking beer, and they helped him get his car out of the sand. Little drove the woman to a grassy slash wooded area not far from the beach with railroad tracks nearby, possibly outside of Tampa, heading to Plant City. He stated when he was driving, he first saw buildings and then saw vegetation. He drove the woman to an island of grass round with a curb around it. He stated he found a grassy lane, some grass and woods back over there, and we parked. I know there was a railroad track that ran across this one because I'm looking right at the train go by. 
the man up in the window, the engineer sitting up there going, woo, woo, woo. I waved when he went by. I'm sorry. I don't know why I think that is so just like irrelevant for him to say. Like why? (laughs) Why? But that is a quote from him. So apparently the train went whoop, whoop, whoop. And he waved (laughs) the engineer as it went by. Little stated the woman right there on the spot by the railroad track outside of Tampa heading towards Plant City. He stated the woman was wearing that bad tight mini skirt and a blouse and left her drawers in the car. I started to keep them drawers for a trophy. Little strangled the woman then left her body near the railroad tracks out in the open. Little believed this area was in the city limits of Tampa within the mile of downtown. He stated that after he killed the woman, I backed up and hit the highway. He said that he drove through Plant City and then arrived in Lakeland as he said he was going anyway. The next one I added in here is the last confession that I'll be putting in here. And I wanted to include it because our girl Erica's from Ohio. So I figured I had to put one Ohio one in there. Hey. This is from Cincinnati, Ohio. Little stated that in approximately 1974 or possibly 1977 to 1979, I stated in part one that he was off on some years and off on some miles within like where he dumped these women. So that's why there's always the, or possibly this year to this year. He killed a black female in Cincinnati, Ohio between the years of 1977 and 1979, or 1974. We really don't know. Little described the woman as being in her 40s. She was tall with short hair and very dark skin. The black female wore glasses and a wig and had long, scrawny neck. Little met the woman when she was standing in the doorway of an apartment building two blocks down from a liquor store. The slender, studious-looking woman lived there with her fat Mexican girlfriend. That is a quote. It is not me. Oh, my God. I know. He's very brash about his – I would listen to the tapes, and honestly, just listening to him talk is – it's gross. Little stated he drove the woman in the Ford Thunderbird to an area in the projects and backed up to a dumpster. It was pouring down rain when he strangled the woman in his car, and her wig fell off. Little then drove her up a hill to an area with houses where you could see cars driving on the big highway below. Little stated he dragged the black female's fully clothed body past the flower bed into the grass that was under the billboard advertising cool cigarettes. Where does he keep getting all these cars? That's what I was curious about when I went through this. But, I mean, if you think about it, he killed women for, what, 1977 to 2005? So, I mean, that's a really long time. And I think I only went over three different cars, three or four. I don't know. He probably, like, dumped cars, stole cars. You you never really know. He just – he was going through all these different states. So he might have just – to mask what he was doing. Yeah, I don't know. There wasn't really a whole lot of research on the car situation. But that was the last confession that I wanted to go over. But in December of 2020, Samuel Little died at the age of 80. He was serving three consecutive life sentences without parole for the deaths of the three women in the late 1980s in Los Angeles. 
The California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation said in its announcement of his death that he died at 4.53 a.m., and although the cause of death was never revealed, he did have diabetes, heart issues, and other unspecified ailments. According to the California Corrections Department, there was no evidence of foul play, and it is unclear if he died alone or was with a family member or partner at the time of death. And I looked it up, and there still hasn't been a cause of death released. That's interesting. Nobody really cares. <laughs> I've, I, that's what I said in my head. I was like, either nobody gives a crap, or they had something. Something, something wrong with his thalamus. This man made history treating back alleys, pickup corners, and underbelly jukebox joints as his hunting ground, targeting prostitutes and drug addicts often poor women of color, and strangling them to death. 93 women, not all identified to this day, which breaks my heart. The journalist Jillian Loren created a series called Confronting a Serial Killer with Stars, and everyone needs to watch it because it's her real conversations and confessions with him. And the director, Joe Berlinger, tells the Daily Beast his victims were as Loren explains in the series, considered less dead by authorities and the judicial system. Their tragedies discounted because of their race, status, and life choices. If a white female from Yale University was killed, the crime would be treated very, very differently than all of his victims. And he's freaking right. But this is what I wanted he's to bring spilled. up in the first part, was that his victims were basically considered less dead. And I had actually never heard that term. And it makes me freaking so sad that any person would be considered less dead just because of that. But he's right. Well, I mean, it's the same people who consider them less alive when they're alive. True. It's You're like right. when they're just missing, they're not as high on the priority list as other missing people because... Some of them weren't even reported missing. Mind-boggling. This documentary led Lauren to speak with some of Little's living victims as well, Layla McLean and Hilda Nelson, and she specified that no one cared what happened to her until a young white woman named Melinda LaPree went missing. Psychologically, this would have been a boost for Samuel Little because he did end up getting off in this case and another one in Florida at the same time due to the mistrust of the victims that were being interviewed. And this would make what? him... Yeah, I know. He got off on two different murders because of this. The mistrust Sorry, of the, the hiccups. Victims. You're good. <laughs> and basically, this is proving to him that he's choosing the right people to murder. Because not even the judicial system will listen to them. The director of the Confronting a Serial Killer series, Berlinger, wanted to make sure that relaying Little's crimes carried a social justice message about the disservice that was done to his victims because of their race and socioeconomic status. An institutional bias that fostered his murder spree. Loren added, I'm very conscious about the capitalism of pain. We're not using pain as entertainment. We're using it to talk about humanity. Again, the director said that 
Dahmer, Gacy, Bundy had all gained notoriety, the subjects of multiple films, documentaries, mythologies. They were basically turned into cultural fixtures, and there has never been a man who has killed more people in the U.S. than Samuel Little, and the reason he hasn't joined those men has been because of the same reason he got away with the murders for so long. He said, and I was literally just going to say that. Exactly. He preyed upon a particular kind of victim who he calculated wouldn't be missed. It's a horrible calculation that he was wrong about because there were obviously people who missed their loved ones, but he was right that it would be his ticket to eluding real scrutiny because those kinds of victims don't raise concern to the highest levels of law enforcement. So Dr. Seffert Lynch researched the FBI analysis of Little and offered her professional opinion on the case. She said, I can't provide a specific diagnosis not having seen him, but he has many traits of a clinical psychopath. Psychopathy is characterized by diagnostic features such as superficial charm, high intelligence, poor judgment, and failure to learn from experience pathological egocentricity and incapacity for love, lack of remorse or shame, impulsivity, grandiose sense of self-worth, pathological lying, manipulative behavior, poor self-control, promiscuous sexual behavior, juvenile delinquency, and criminal versatility, among others. As a consequence of these criteria, the image of a psychopath is that of a cold, heartless, inhumane being, But do all psychopaths show a complete lack of emotional capacity and empathy? We don't know. This one in particular? Yes. Like many healthy people, psychopaths love their parents, spouse, children, and pets in their own way, and they have difficulty in loving and trusting the rest of the world. Psychopaths suffer emotionally as a consequence of separation, divorce, death of a beloved person, or dissatisfaction of their own deviant behavior. I wanted to talk about that section in particular because apparently Samuel Little's mother was a prostitute. Oh, it all goes back. Yes. So when this says that psychopaths suffer emotionally as a consequence due to separation, he did not get a lot of his mother when he was growing up. He had a void in that specific realm because of her profession, obviously, and her stints in and out of jail. So he did not grow up with a mother figure. And I think this was a big deal for him and, you know, led to a lot of future ailments. Psychologist Dr. Dave Davis, which, what a name. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Dr. Dave Davis, but that was just a lot for me. It is a name. His analysis of the confessions were kind of shocking because he said that he did not believe that Little was mentally ill. And I quote, What the fuck is he? (laughs) Well, I quote, As a matter of fact, his sentence structure and content and such that I'd say he probably was not mentally ill in a sense of having schizophrenia, bipolar, or anything like that. He said that a personality disorder is much more likely. He believes Little has what psychologists called a Madonna whore complex, which means he only sees women as virtuous and good or sinful and bad. 
He said, in one way, he likes women. In another way, he must really hate them. And in an interview tape, he is seen laughing and excited about speaking of killing these women. There's no empathy or remorse. He says, Little says, I love all women. When they die, they're all your favorites. They belong to you. I lost track. I had to count by states, but I ain't forgot none of them. Honestly, I do think Dr. Dave Davis is correct. And I have never heard of the Madonna whore complex. Have you? No, and that is quite the name. Right? But it makes sense. He sees their, he sees women as either virtuous and good or sinful and bad. There's really no in-between for him. Why do they have to use Madonna? I really don't know. Also, like, don't use the word whore. That's just rude. There's, there's so many other routes we could have gone with this one, but... I didn't name it. It wasn't me. When Little was asked, why do you think you became what you are? His reply was, you know what? I try to trace back to when I became attracted to a woman's throat. I remember going to school in Lorraine, but I noticed when I was in school about four or five years old, the teacher's neck. She turned me on, made my, um, hard. She used to rub her neck while she was teaching me. This is very strange to me considering he was four or five years old when he's saying that this happened to him. And when you're that young, you can get erections as a young kid, as a man, but usually from an early age, they're like random occurrences. They're not actually brought on by like a stimulant. So to be four or five, that's gross of you. I know, but I'm sorry, girly. I had to go over it. Speaking of his fascination with a woman's throat, I did want to go over homicidal strangulation, obviously, because that's his manner of killing these women. Homicidal strangulation accounts for approximately 10 to 20% of all homicidal deaths in various countries. In strangulation, the cause of death is cerebral hypoxia, secondary to compression, and thereby in occlusion of the vessels supplying blood to the brain. It has been estimated that applying pressure on the neck causes unconsciousness in approximately 5 to 15 seconds. 75% of the victims of homicidal strangulation are females and infants. In previous studies, the most frequent motives for homicidal strangulation have been rape, sexual jealousy, and personal rivalry. In previous studies, strangulation has been firmly associated with sexual and sadistic murders. Strangulation has been found to be the cause of death in 67% of sexual murderers, 63% of sexual murders of elderly females, and 61% of sexual sadistic murderers, and... 59% of serial sexual murderers, which is what Sam Little is. The prevalence of strangulation has been also studied in relation to serial murders, aka serial killers. In these studies, strangulation has been present in approximately 35% of serial murders. It was also compared with a single homicide offenders, which serial offenders are more likely to use strangulation as a method of killing. When a serial killer murders his first victim, he activates what is known as cyclical mechanism, entering a circular complex mental process like an addiction, which leads to him killing again. This has been brought on by Bruno and Marazzi. 
The murder becomes the transposition of one or more mental images with a real context and the dynamic process is bound to repeat itself with particular features of rituals. The imagination is the fundamental element of a human psyche through which he can change reality, replace something, review the past, and anticipate the future. This is commonly used by adults as much as children to gain and maintain control over an imagined situation. Through imagination, any mood, such as anger, for example, begins to take shape oriented towards a specific goal and specific direction. During childhood, children take refuge in fantasy, and according to the family context in which they grow up, project what they have learned or experienced as a way of relating to others. The child will then create a personal imaginary world and will project the hostility and hatred that the child has experienced in the world. In fantasy, an individual can imagine the self to be immense and without limits. The main difference between a criminal and a normal subject is that of the former, believes to have some sort of divine right to satisfy his fantasies without moral or legal restrictions. Serial killers' imagination plays a major role as they begin to fantasize about acts to be performed in order to express dominance over another human. The decision-making power of life and death infuses a feeling of omnipotence. When the delusional fantasy reaches a peak, it's time to enjoy the act of murder until a new emotional necessity or compulsion leads to kill again. For serial murderers, the victim is like a checker pawn to be manipulated and in order to win a game of some sort. These individuals compensate for their social loneliness by retreating their fantasy world, which in fact dominated by their imagination. A serial killer, regardless of the reason behind their murders, always begins the destructive path due to fantasies. Apparently, Samuel Little did have difficulties with discipline and achievement in school. He was kind of lonely. He also had the situation with his mother. He was kind of fantasizing about a life that he didn't have. So this does make sense to me. And the whole teacher throat making him fantasize situation also goes into play with that, which really grosses me out. But it does make sense when you put everything together. Yeah. Dr. Gary Brucato specializes in psychology of violent crimes at the New York State Psychiatric Center at Columbia University. And he said, they're such intensely visual people. It's not uncommon at all for them to produce some sort of artistic product. He also said that there are four kinds of serial killers. There's the angel of death, mothers who kill their children, and there is those with hatred for a certain group of people and the serial sexual. So he has a different view of the four types of serial killers, um, which I found very interesting because these kind of line up more with what Samuel Little was. We've already talked about angel of death in a different episode, right? We did in my um, in my episode. Okay, I thought on so. the West Mesa Bone Collector. Yes, 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 yes. Anyway, Doctor Bricotta said that Samuel Little falls under the serial sexual category. So that is his professional opinion. 
Forensic psychologist Robert Shrug said that these murders can't be traced back to one event, but is likely to be a combination of rejection and traumas. As I said before, he does have some traumas and he had some rejection as well. His mother wasn't present due to her stints in prison and her professions. Common theories as to why serial sexual killers do what they do involve childhood and mental illness. So this does make sense. Although some studies have shown that the number of serial sexual killers do, in fact, suffer from chronic mental illness or have been victims of child abuse, these characteristics are not reliable enough to become generalizable because, obviously, Sam Little is the most prof- prolific serial killer in America, and he apparently doesn't have chronic mental illness, and he was not a victim of child abuse that we know of. There's really not a whole lot on his childhood. Which is so interesting to me because you would think that people would want to have like studied that more. Yes, I know. Um, Gained satisfaction from the sexual activities and the killing. Once these women were dead, they meant nothing after he was done with them. He went as far as to say in an interview that some of the women he murdered were planned out. Some of the women were simply because of opportunity and some just had a death wish. He literally said, this is a quote, if they was alive today, they'd be my friends. They didn't die mad at me. What? Actually, no, bitch. Eat a sock. That is delusional. That's insane. Delusional. But that's all I got on Sam Little, y'all. I could not continue any longer. It's okay. That was enough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and there's still so much more out. Imagine if I went over all 93 confessions, guys. It is interesting to think about, like, the reason why he's not more prolific is literally because of the victimology. It's insane. Now you guys know about Samuel Little and hopefully would look at him as just as scary and wild and just messed up as the rest of these infamous serial killers because he is really bad really really bad man and his confession tapes are really hard to listen to those are on youtube right yes they're on youtube and they're on some of the sources that i will have listed on the website as well that you can click on but he's just no so nonchalant about everything it's just wild to me But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening to part two of Samuel Little. I have indigestion and I've had too much coffee. So it's just a normal day here at the house. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Everything is just Crime on Caffeine for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. We also now have YouTube, which is also just Crime on Caffeine. So if you are a YouTube podcast listener, you can listen there. If you guys know of any coffee places that you want us to check out, try out for the show and review for you, go ahead and DM us on any social media or email us, crimeoncaffeine at jmail.com. We are looking for new coffee. I know we've done a bunch of Florida, a bunch of Illinois, a bunch of Ohio, but we are good to try from wherever we're able of ordering or having it shipped to us. So let us know. Yes, always willing and able to buy some coffee. (laughs) We still have our regularly scheduled episode coming out on Wednesday. It is another unsolved. This one was 
requested from a listener. So make sure you guys listen up, follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you get notified as soon as the episode is released and you can listen to it on your way to work or on your way to the living room or your home office. Wherever you want to listen, just listen. (laughs) With that being said, we will catch you guys on the next one. (laughs) 